children often imitate their parents. And I remember when our daughter Eva was about three, I'm guessing three years old, she would be in the habit of every night after we'd put her to bed, sure enough, every night she would get up out of bed and she would make every excuse. Oh, I need to go to the toilet. I need a tiny drink. It was just always excuses. So we thought, we'll get on to her. We will make sure before she gets put to bed that she goes to the toilet and she gets her little tiny drink. Done. Well, next night we think we've got this. No, she's up again. We're like, how come? Like, we're like, no, 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 go to bed. Okay, we thought, this is done. Next night, she's up again, and I thought I could hear her coming. I thought, I'm going to get her. So she goes to open the door, and I was straight onto her, go to bed, real loud. I shocked her, and she scurried back into her bed scared. And we had to do that a few more times, but it wasn't long afterwards, I think maybe a week or two, that I was going past her room, and she was playing with her teddies, and I could hear her saying to her teddies, go to bed. (laughs) Children often imitate their parents, and sometimes that's really good when they've got parents that are good examples, full of faith, good communicators, good relationships, strong marriages. But when children also imitate their parents, when they're not so good in those things, perpetuating negative traits that they might pick up, like bad attitudes, the way they do relationships, lack in communication, lying, um, materialism, addictions like addiction to work, to alcohol, to pornography. And this this verse that we're looking at tonight, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. And Paul here in chapter 5 verse 1, he's actually commanding, he's not suggesting, he commands that believers imitate God, our Heavenly Father and our Abba Father, as Pastor Jack preached on so beautifully this morning. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. To to imitate is to behave in a similar way, to copy their actions or talk. Have you ever copied a picture? I'm going to get a, a picture put up on the screen. When you're copying a picture, the one on the left is the original, the, the one on the right is the copy. When you, when you do that, you've got to keep your eye on the original to see the strokes, the lines and the direction that, that you are to go in. You know, the same is true when we are to imitate our father. We need to keep our eye on the original to copy the king, to fix our eyes on him, his ways, his word. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing a circular letter from a Roman prison. It's like a a group letter. It's like a group email to a whole bunch of churches in the region of Ephesus. And the church continued to grow since Paul had last been there for about six years earlier. And there were many new Gentile Christians that carried with them unhealthy worldviews from how they had grown up from their culture. See, the culture of Ephesus was wild. The culture, it was a business centre. It attracted many different cultures, which meant many different religions. There was like a melting pot. There was 50 different gods and goddesses. Um, The one that was most celebrated was Artemis, the, the god, some people said the god of hunting, bow, and she would hold a bow and arrow. But the Romans considered her the fertility goddess and the, the protector. So the spiritual world was very real, very dark, a lot of fear in Ephesus, and there was a lot of um, promiscuity that was celebrated. It was a very dark and depraved society. You know, we think our society has lost the plot. It's nothing new under the sun. 
the Gentile Christians Paul was writing to needed to change an unhealthy worldview. And similarly today, our cultural worldview must also change. We need a new lens. It's like the old lens is darkened in our understanding. We need to not imitate the, the, the world and the dark lens of the world. We need to look at the new way, light, God's view, God's clear view, especially in the way that we do relationships, the way that we behave and relate to one another. So how do we do kingdom relationships? Well, I've been looking into the book of Ephesians and I have been enjoying it. Do you love the word of God? Do you love the word of God? I've been diving into Ephesians and the first half of Ephesians, Paul is really talking to them about focusing their identity on being beloved children of God. The word beloved is more than just loved. It is actually dearly loved. It is a much loved person. And he's speaking to them about who their identity is now. The old life how they used to see life, the old life of death is gone. They've gone from darkness to light, from death to life. And he is encouraging them in the first half of Ephesians that they need to get a revelation of this new life and they need a revelation of how absolutely beloved they are, how much they are loved by their father. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 It says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, which is you and I here today, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When you have that revelation, when you are so full of the absolute love of your Father, so overfilling, overfilling, so full, you do not crave the attention, affirmation, acknowledgement of others to complete you. Your tank is full. We are full people, not half a person yearning for more. We must know the love of God and allow it to affect the way we think, the way we act, and the words that we speak. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says to them, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. We've got to stop living the world's way. And I believe we're raising a generation here at Imaginations Church that will not follow the ways of the kingdom of this world, but they will follow the kingdom of God. We will follow our heavenly father's example. We will imitate the father who so loved the world that he gave his best for us. The key verse that we're looking at, Ephesians 5, it says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ provides the model, the model for how we as Christians should walk in selfless love, in sacrificial love. His sacrificial death is the very definition of real love. It's very interesting 
the first half of Ephesians is about knowing who we are in Christ and how loved we are. The second half of Ephesians, Paul focuses on the practical ways that we have to walk out this walk of love, how, to, how it affects our actions and our words, our conduct and our speech, our behaviour and our talk. So how do we have kingdom relationships? We imitate our king. We imitate that selfless, sacrificial love. And I love the amplified version of this passage. It says this, Therefore, become imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example. As well-beloved children, intimate, intimate, imitate their father and walk continually in love. That is, value one another. Practice empathy and compassion unselfishly seeking the best for others, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God, slain for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. I just love that. Our king's love is selfless. It's self-sacrificing, self-denying, unselfish. And when we focus on the original, we focus on the king, then we can see that example of sacrificial love in Jesus who came not to be served but to serve, that unconditional agape love. And here we see it means a love that values others, that gives dignity to others, a love that practices empathy, that listens, genuinely listens, seeking to understand others, seeking to understand the emotions of others. And often when others exhibit big emotions, we can be reactive. The anxiety within us might cause us to withdraw from that that behaviour, to create distance between us. But compassion is bold and courageous and fearless And selfless and compassion shows concern and moves towards the person. It leans in, puts its arm around. Compassion is concerned for their needs and why they might be acting like that. Selfless actions. If you have a look in chapter 4 of Ephesians, there's some really good examples of selfless, self-sacrificing actions that we can mimic, that we can copy. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to the, Galatia, to the Ephesians, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with each other in love. He says, Make every effort to remain united in spirit through the bond of peace, speaking truthfully. He says, In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. These are awesome. These are great, great things to mimic, to copy, to practice if we want to have a self-sacrificial love just like our king. It affects our words, selfless words. You know, selfless words, it's not just about us. It's about others, complimenting, encouraging, speaking loving, speaking kindness and hope and faith-inspiring words. And in chapter 4, Paul actually writes in verse 29, watch your words. Self-sacrificing love 
It doesn't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is selfless love. This is sacrificing selfless. It's less about myself. This is what we need to imitate. This is what we need to copy. Not the ways of this world, not the way that the world does relationships. And it's really interesting to me in Ephesians 5, that Paul gives an example of of an action that is really selfish, that we need to avoid in our new life, that that we need to put on new glasses and see clearly. And it's in verse 3, he says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people." What is selfish? Sexual immorality. In the world's kingdom, it's try before you buy. It's self-gratification. It's fun. It's watch sex for entertainment and self-pleasure. But the Greek word used here for sexual immorality is porneia. And the spirit behind this behavior is actually demonic. Because Satan hates sex. He degrades and defrauds it, delighting in desecrating it something beautiful that God has designed as a gift for a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And here, Paul is saying in God's kingdom, not even a hint, not even a suggestion, not a small piece, not even a crumb. But many in the kingdom of God find themselves still enslaved through the worldview of the past, still enslaved to to the um, perhaps even addicted in sexual immorality. But it's not God's will. God's will is freedom. Jesus came that we might be free. He came that we might have life and life more abundant. And lust is so selfish. It can't wait. We need to change the lens and put on the clear light-giving lens of true love, true unconditional agape love, because love will wait. Love is patient and love is kind. It is pure. And the spirit behind real love is the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, there's the fruit of the spirit operating in our life. Amen? So it affects that the way we live, And it affects the way we talk. And it's interesting, he goes on in verse 4 to say, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. See, there's certain ways in the kingdom of God that we just don't talk. And he's relating it to our relationships. We don't joke about about, um, obscene things or coarse joking. We don't make light of those things because God has sanctified sex. We don't make light of it. We don't have coarse joking. But instead of talking gutter talk or smart, the words that come out of kingdom mouths that build up kingdom relationships is thanksgiving. 
thanksgiving, the language of kingdom relationships, thanksgiving, gratitude, just like you were talking about, gratitude. I'm just going to ask the, the team to come and join me. The language of thanksgiving, gratitude to God, gratitude for others, gratitude to say thank you, God, that you love me. Thank you, God, that you love me with a love that's so deep, so wide, so long, so high, that doesn't compare to anyone else. Thank you, God, that you laid down Jesus for me. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for godly friends in my life. Thank you for my connect group. Thank you for my leaders who love me. Thank you for those who pray for me. Thank you that I have a husband who loves me and children. Thank you, God, that I'm blessed with children. Thank you, God. Thankfulness and gratitude is the language of kingdom relationships. This is how we imitate the King. Then it goes on. I want to read verse 15. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery instead. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving Thanks to God the Father for everything. This is the language of the kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is an action of kingdom relationships. Submit to one another. Mutual submission. Submission to a spouse, to a boss, to a parent is really self-sacrificing love. It is self-denying and it's giving up oneself for another. I'm going to put a slide up. Submission is the same spirit that Jesus gave up his life for his bride, for his church. He gave up his rights and his privileges for the good of others. Now, submission is never forced or coerced or exerted. That's subjugation. Subjugation is the action of bringing someone or something under domination or control. Submission is not degrading or humiliating or disempowering, whether it be for a parent or a spouse. Submission, it is a sacrificial gift that one chooses to give to another, to yield to authority. Not my will. But yours be done, Jesus said. And we become more like our King. We imitate Him when we submit. In a culture that fights for its rights, for autonomy, for independence, this is countercultural. This is countercultural. But kingdom relationships need to be countercultural. We put, need to put on a new, a new lens, a new worldview that's totally different. And when we live differently with this new kingdom view, this countercultural, something happens. Transformation happens in individuals. Transformation happens in friendships. Transformation happens in marriages. Transformation happens in communities. You see, when this letter was written to the group of churches, just 50 years after this letter was written, 
a governor of Ephesus wrote a letter to, his name was Pliny, and he writes this letter to the Emperor Trajan in Rome to get advice for what to do with the Christians because there'd been some transformation. They'd obviously put this letter into act. In 112 AD, Christianity had penetrated well beyond the borders of Rome into many provinces south and east of Italy. Pagan temples had been deserted and large towns, villages and rural districts were teeming with Christian converts. He wrote of the extraordinary purity of the Christians' lives, contrasted with the people around them. It's written... Believers were accustomed to meeting on the Lord's Day before dawn, not the 5.30pm service, (laughs) before dawn, and sing responsively a hymn. How about that? Responsively singing. You like that? Yeah. This is what they did. They sang responsively a hymn to Christ as God and and to bind themselves by oath what customs of this world they will not partake of. Each time they met, they were accountable to each other not to do some crime, fraud, theft or adultery or lies. They committed to serving and helping others. And when their church meeting was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to eat a meal together. This is kingdom culture. This is who we are. This is kingdom culture. This is kingdom relationship. And it transforms so much. It transforms individuals. It transforms friends, families, marriages and whole communities. In fact, 200 years later, in the year 313 AD, the emperor... Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which formally accepted Christianity. Talk about transformation. Ten years after that, Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire. Talk about transformation. That excites me. Are you excited about a transformation in our community, in the western suburbs of Penrith, of Sydney? Well, kingdom culture can do that. Will you stand with me? You can close your eyes. We need to turn from a culture of self-serving, self-gratifying selfishness to an unselfish, self-sacrificing, self-denying, submitted love. We are imitators of God. We're imitators of the King. We're not imitators of this world. I love this message version of what we've been focusing on. It says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like 